Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic 
like research, development, and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust. And it's great in convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That's me, with me as always, making sure you can see him from a comfortable distance so you don't hit him with your car. Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. Uh, Mike is commenting on my reflective attire. Uh, shout out to Carhartt brand, Detroit's finest. Uh, I like to walk around looking like a construction worker every now and then. Hey, what can I say? Bold move in the summertime with the beanie. Hey, hey, hey. I don't know. If, I don't know where you are. Actually, I do know where you are. But in Louisville, Kentucky, it's that magical time where it finally broke, and it is oh. hoodie season. It is. It is uh, shorts with a long sleeve shirt season. So I am throwing my hat in a beanie just to remind everyone I feel the crisp air just as you do. That's going to be one of those things that I missed this fall being in Los Angeles because it's been so hot out here so consistently that I came home from the long weekend in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma and the bananas on my counter were still ripe but they were so warm that they just as soon as I picked them up fell off the peel and like the stem and it made me really Mm. uncomfortable and I threw them away. Yeah, we don't want a bad banana. I don't the, the bad when it comes to things that are bad and they're at their worst when they're bad bananas got to be up there like top five worst bad things is that, Ooh, is that fair? yeah you know what we'll have to explore that at some point the things that are because it's like people always say about stuff like pizza where they say it's like sex there's no such thing as bad pizza there's all right. you know, all yes. pizza's good and then there's some great pizza there high floor you know pretty high ceiling also we got to find the foods that have the lowest floor and we will do that another day but we have so much going on today we can't (laughs) possibly get to all that we have got spencer hall from the shutdown full cast joining us to talk about college football in a little bit since we had so much stuff outside of just the notre dame fiasco from this weekend that we have to get to Mm -hmm. nebraska fired scott frost texas a&m is in shambles after losing to app state wisconsin lost all these things happen so We'll get to talk to Spencer about plenty of that and give you guys your college football fix around here. We've also got the Emmys that went down last night that we can get to in this, that, and the third. Some very exciting wins out there. Squid Game had themselves an evening. There was one show. I was bitterly disappointed, did not get some representation, but hope for next year still. Hope for next year. We can get to plenty of that, Brandon, but we've got NFL Top 5, Bottom 5 as well. we got a lot of shit going on, but... Monday Night Football. I am almost Uh, speechless uh. after what we saw go down at now Lumen Field in Seattle as the Seahawks got a win over the Denver Broncos. Yes, real thing that happened somehow, someway. The Seahawks won 16-17 over the Broncos in Russell Wilson's return trip back to what used to be CenturyLink and is now Lumen Field. Brandon, there, there's so many things about this game. The ending is obviously a huge part of what we have to get to. Nathaniel Hackett, the new yeah. head coach, bucks the trend of new head coaches having a stellar opening weekend. 
and has some right. of the most suspect decision making of all time at the end of this game. And Brandon, I don't even know like what order we should go in to get to that because that feels like what everyone's going to be talking about today is the final minute of this game. The Seattle Seahawks are strike that, reverse it. The Denver Broncos are driving. Okay. This is what happens when Russ comes in on a different team. Yes. The Denver Broncos are driving the field. They're right around midfield, a little bit behind still on their side with just over a minute left. They get up to the line of scrimmage. They have three timeouts in their pocket, and they're getting ready to run a play. And the most accurate, most deeply relatable moment from a group of Hall of Famers ever was happening on the Manning cast at that time. Because Peyton and Eli were watching at that point with Shannon Sharp. And all of these guys are looking at the situation. Little over a minute left. The the uh, Denver Broncos are now at fourth and five with a little over a minute left, three yes. timeouts, and they are still on their side of midfield. It would be a 64-yard field goal attempt from that spot if they were going to kick it. And Peyton is sitting there going, we should call a timeout right now. He is furiously trying to burn a timeout for this right. Denver Broncos team. And as that's going on, Russ and that group are getting in the huddle. They get up to the line of scrimmage. They're taking their time. Clock, tick, tick, tick. Peyton is losing his shit. Him and Eli and Shannon are trying to figure this out. Three Hall of Famers all trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And finally, after burning about 40 seconds off the clock, getting down to about 20 seconds, they finally burn a timeout. And in that time, a flabbergasted nation is trying to figure out what the shit's going on. They trot out Brandon McManus and the field goal team to try and kick a 64-yard game-winning field goal at the end of this. Of course it misses. And then Nathaniel Hackett proceeds to spend the rest of his timeouts while the Seahawks are kneeling, apparently just using him because he doesn't know the free coupons for him, taking him out of the stadium. And they lose this game. Brandon. <laughs> Uh, Have you seen or heard no. of anyone who is able to defend this decision? Because I looked at Meathead Tape Grinder Twitter. I looked at Analytics Twitter. I tried to find any group of people I could. Because there's usually always one person who's out here defending the decision of a coach in a critical moment of a game. Football's very hard. There's a lot of things you're weighing all at once. I have not seen anyone who can make sense of trotting out your field goal kicker for a 64-yard field goal, which Nathaniel Hackett, after the game in the press conference, defended and said, no, Russ wasn't trying to get another playoff. He knew we were at a spot that we were comfortable kicking from yes. and knew the plan. Yes. I cannot yes. imagine the clock. that being the plan instead of giving your, what, $245 million quarterback that you brought to upgrade this team a chance to go get five yards. Five yards against 64 yards. Again, with three timeouts and over a minute left. It wasn't like you were lacking for resources or time at that point, Brandon. And all I can chalk this up to is a first-time head coach making a mistake. Because this, to me, is something that even if you can find an analytics model that says to go for it here, this is one of those spots where I look and just say, 
Well, no. In a weekend where we lauded a bunch of coaches like Mike McDaniel and Brian Dable for being aggressive in certain spots with their players to send a message, what kind of message does this send to the Denver Broncos locker room if you're looking around going, what the hell did we just spend all that money for? Like, we could have had Drew Locke out there if we wanted to set up to kick at the end of this game. I cannot make sense of it, Brandon. And I can't find anyone else who has tried to. My main issue with it is it, it harkens back to that Aaron Rodgers uh, NFC Championship game where he was just kind of chalked it up and he was like, hey, you know, the coach wanted to do this. And it's like, like what? Like we're blaming Matt LaFleur right now when you could have just Aaron Rodgers a, a, a play to continue to, to push this game thing down the field. Like that's what I think we're seeing from these younger quarterbacks that are now in the debate. We can talk about Justin Herbert and, and Patrick Mahomes arguably being the two of the best quarterbacks out here. But like Russell Wilson, it seemed like tonight was like trying not to run to prove that he's no longer a running quarterback when you could see plenty of times or now that one to Jerry Judy that he threw, like he could have easily ran for that third and two. And I didn't know why he didn't until he he dumped it off to Jerry Judy and he ran 67 yards for a touchdown. So like, okay, let's not question Russell Wilson, the future Hall of Famer in some of these decisions. But Mike, I, I would think that he could veto right then and there and also like just play football the way he knows how to play football and get further down the field so you're not kicking a 64-yarder. So you're not trying to set the record for the second longest field goal to win a, to win a game. And, and now obviously McManus is better on the road than he is at home, but I don't know. That's like the overcoaching stuff that's coming in. And like you said, it's, it was a bad coach's decision. I just would like to see Russell Wilson – take onus in that in that situation get the first down call a timeout and and everyone go to a commercial break and reset and then we could be talking about the Denver Broncos winning this game yeah I don't know man like it's one of those spots yeah I guess he could go rogue but if this is the plan that you've all gone along with on the sideline we saw in that environment all day the one thing I'll say about that is communication as it is often for visitors there nearly impossible this Denver Broncos team had 12 penalties on the night for over 100 yards had five false starter delay of game penalties because the process of getting that plan and getting it communicated was taking too damn long and the quarterback of the team was the guy who just spent a decade there and knows that better than anyone else now he knows it from what it does to the opposing quarterbacks he used to look at and watch but Top to bottom, the preparation and the plan for the Denver Broncos seemed flawed because, Brandon, when you look at everything else, the Broncos, more first down than the Seahawks. The Broncos, better about, you know, right about the same on third down, but more total plays, far outgain them in total yards, 433 to 253. Yep. Yards per play, 6.8 mm-hmm. to 5.2. All of these things. Both quarterbacks were sacked twice. The Broncos outrushed them. Possession. All of the all of the stats that you would think would point back to winning, despite the fact that Geno Smith came out long time backup. We haven't seen starts since with the Jets. Came out and started with 13 straight completions. Looked great. The Seahawks had a stellar offensive game plan, especially in the first half, and then in the second half, what we kind of expect to quarterbacks that have been long time backups happened. The rest of it started to slow down a little bit. That offense wasn't able to get as much going. The sacks both came in the second half. And part of those were on a rookie left tackle. You are the first to start two rookie left tackles since I think the 90s. Or two rookie tackles, excuse me, since the 90s in a game. But part of that's also on Geno Smith. You saw a bunch of O-linemen talking about it online. 
That launch point, how far you get back in the pocket can make that tougher on rushers. You heard Troy Aikman saying it on the broadcast. Geno Smith could have and should have had room to step up in front of him and didn't, which helped him. So water kind of found its level as the game went on. Geno Smith still outperformed everyone's expectations and deserves his moment in the Suns for this. But I will just say on the other side, the Denver Broncos lost this game because they refused to abs- to go out and execute in critical areas. Two goal line fumbles because you were running shotgun runs at the one. Crazy. Crazy. Having to f- having Crazy. to settle for a field goal, they were over- they were highly penalized and failed to convert in the red zone. And when you've got a new head coach, those are the areas we're going to look at. And when you've got a new head coach with an offensive background, we're especially going to look and wonder why there wasn't a better plan for how you were going to handle go to goal-to-go situations in this game. Mike, I was sad for Russell Wilson that he continued his battle with the goal line from five yards out. Like, I, it, it was insane to see. And that the fact that you can even say that water ended up leveling in this game to the fact that they could even out – I'm sorry, but the Russell Wilson that they traded for was supposed to handedly beat that team. What was the? I wish I, I knew the line uh, for that six, game. It was I, the, six the and a half. That, the Seahawks, the the Denver Broncos were six and a half point favorites. I mean that that's the line for the Baltimore Ravens against the Jets this weekend. Like 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 this was supposed to be very easy for the Denver Broncos, and you saw flashes of how it possibly could. But I don't think I gave enough credit to what Pete Carroll's done over there with that defense. Yes. Because they were nasty. And obviously you could talk about the uh, the holes on the Denver Broncos uh, offensive line, but it seemed very like the son of the Legion of Boom. Like we're all in the position now we're watching like and, and Antoine Whitfield Juniors and like the Asante Samuel Juniors. We're seeing all these junior versions of people in the NFL right now. It looks like we're looking at a Legion of Boom Junior over there with the Seahawks in it. They could win some games in the NFC like that. Yeah, Tariq Woolen had a really good night for them. Quandre Diggs obviously always pretty solid for them. Jamal Adams went out early in that game with an injury and that unfortunately yeah. didn't look very good. A knee injury they had him carted off there so but yeah Jordan Brooks it it feels fake every time they say Jordan Brooks their linebacker had 183 tackles last year like I understand it's a 17 game season now and so these are things that are going to pop up probably more and more but that's still batshit crazy and that group all stepped up on multiple goal line stands again this the Broncos were able to move the ball but the Seahawks right. stepped up and were salty in the end zone and forced the biggest plays at the biggest possible time. And so looking at the Denver Broncos here, I think now we see clearly it is the Chiefs and it is the Chargers in that division, at least at this point, all things being equal. Because <sighs> yeah. while Russ still was able to get a lot done yeah. in the middle of this offense, it just doesn't compare. The Chargers, and the, the Chargers and the Broncos do not have quarterbacks like those other two have quarterbacks. And as long as the Chargers stay healthy, they've got enough on defense to go and make that hell. Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack in Game 1 were fucking lights out. And then you go along yes. with the Chiefs, who absolutely laid waste to a division opponent, the Cardinals. Those two teams are in a league all by their own. I think I'd probably pick the Broncos over the Raiders right now. But if these mistakes aren't just 
a head coach coaching for the first time in that role in his first game in a primetime spot where his quarterback used to play. Like, I recognize the situation has a lot to it and a lot to handle, but if these these have to be one-offs or else we could be talking about the Raiders being a much more live dog in this situation. The, the Raiders and the Broncos are, are it seems like they're, they're kind of suffering from the same things, especially when it comes to turning the ball over, uh, big-time players, uh, not really... Eh. I don't know if D- Devontae Adams missed Aaron Rodgers. I know they probably both missed each other going into this game and looking what, what they both needed. But Devontae Adams had some palms up moments with Derek, Derek Carr. Like, come on, dude. Like, you got you got you got to be better than that. So yes, within that division, we kind of already knew that it was going to be the Chiefs and the Chargers. But there is a reality there where the Denver Broncos can be one of those teams that messes things up for people. And mess things up for the teams that need the need those but, wins. Like, but I don't they're not really supposed to be a mess. Etching but out they're wins not supposed to be a mess. Things up for people. Chiefs. Team, they're supposed to be one of the divisions that could have three or four playoff teams. And if they iron these mistakes yeah, out, Brandon, I want to be clear, they still could be. Like a bunch of the other stuff that we saw in this game, outside of the things that tend to fall on coaching, clock management, performance in the red zone, all these things, which. Also, Russ does not get a pass on what went on in the red zone, but that seemed like a thing where the game plan down there and how they approached some of those pivotal play calls left a lot to be desired for us. And so, again, I don't want to dump too, too much on the coach. I know that's the easy scapegoat thing in all of this and that they need to also hold on to the ball when we're down at the goal line. But... The first touch, the first fumble, Javante Williams not being in there set a lot of people off, so they put him in there on the second one, and he fumbled too. Everyone has some blame to go around on this. And again, one of the hardest places to play in the NFL. We know all that. But Brandon, you could still see the bones of a good team. Jerry Judy's got that next gear. They had a tight end room that yeah, had that yes. Andrew Beck guy that I hadn't even heard, you know, thought about going into tonight. Blocking his ass Everyone, off. Well, and, like, I mean, he caught the first two or three catches of the game from Russell Wilson. Russ came out targeting backs and tight ends for the first few before we got to Jerry Judy and the rest of these guys in that show there. Alberto Boakum, who no one could pronounce his name in the broadcast or after, despite him having been someone people have known about for years, like, you looked up and down. The one thing I will say is that Broncos offensive line seemed to get away with a fair amount of things that could have been perceived as holding calls, and I wonder how that's going to look Mm. as the year goes along. But all the rest of it there, Bradley Chubb stepping up in some big moments, you can see the team that thought, hey, we're just a quarterback away. It was just maddening to watch all the mistakes that got made in this game. Okay. We did the X's and O's things, and I and I understand that. And we we it's all valid. I'm glad we covered it. But let's talk about the sexy thing that pissed everybody off, and that's Russell Wilson getting booed by the Twelves in Seattle. In Seattle, on his return, I like this, Mike. I'll just say this because Pete Carroll went out and told everyone how they need to be acting. He said, "Listen, I don't know if I was y'all." I'd be screaming at Russell Wilson when he comes in here, and I think you got to love the one you're with. Obviously, they could have traded Pete Carroll for Russell Wilson long ago, but you got to love the one you're with, and you gotta you gotta boo you gotta boo the guy that left. You gotta boo the guy that left. And Seattle, being a very important fan base, a very plugged in fan base, did exactly what their coach asked of them. So I want to be clear: Pete Carroll did not tell them to do that. Pete Carroll said he would take their lead from them. So. Okay. That's that's okay. first, but he okay. did give them room to do this. 
And Brandon, this isn't going to be a surprise to anyone who's ever heard me talk before. Like, I'm always going to skew pro player. And in general, for a guy that helped bring you a Super Bowl and gave you as many good years as Russ did, I understand at the end. Made it weird. The leaked list of teams that he would accept the trade to, clearly trying to position himself to get out of there. I know that leaves you sour at the moment there. But I still looked at that and thought, you know what? Maybe the first time he goes out in the field, when he's leading the opposing offense and stuff like that, I get it. But he got booed coming out of the tunnel in pregame warm-ups, and it just felt kind of lame to me. Like, this is a guy that has done so much good for this team. Pete Carroll has also been someone who drew the ire, and he just happened to win the power battle in there. So, I thought it was kind of lame. They end up getting the last laugh because they win. But, man, there were weirdos in the crowd that had, that had Russell Wilson jerseys that just said boo on the back. Like, you put that much time and resources into going out there and hating on a dude that had been part of some of the best years of your franchise? I, I, I guess. It's just that's, that's, a for, that's a foreign concept to me. I guess that's what I'm saying is loyalty. But it's 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 yeah. I was saying loyalty shows itself in different forms by how, how how scarred you are coming up into that in that point. And I think this is them showing that they're loyal to the franchise and not to the quarterback. Yeah, someone did try to say to me like, "Man, imagine being Geno Smith and seeing how you know how much they're behind you." I'd be like, "If I'm Geno Smith." And watching them boo a future Hall of Famer who has helped this franchise in ways that I never will. I know sure as shit when things go south, they're not going to have my back. They'll defend the laundry, but they ain't going to defend me if it goes sideways and they perceive me as the reason why. That's the message sent to me. They weren't even going to, they weren't ready to get behind Gino until he came out and did what he did against Russell Wilson. So I think it's a good it's a good way to start the season for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, we thought it was going to be a rebuilding year, beating someone like the Broncos week one. You know that that's some good inertia. Oh, it's incredible! And listen, I I still look and again in the second half we saw they came out awesome game plan, got the ball out of Geno's hands quick, used him in the run game some. You got great production out of Rashad Penny in certain parts, but again. As the game went on, it started to slow down a little bit. And we know the Broncos do have some quality defensive personnel, but I just think overall there's going to be a cap on what that group can accomplish. It was a great opening stanza. It was a great plan for a quarterback that they know super well against a first-time head coach. And give Pete Carroll some credit on that too. For as much as we say there are certain elements of the approach to offensive football that might be holding on to stuff in the past that's not necessarily loaded up anymore. Guy went out and coached a hell of a game. You know, he had the, I I will say, he did have the moment on the review of that first down where Pete Carroll was just itching to go out there, use the challenge flag, and make sure that they lit a timeout on fire in the process. Some things have to happen at the start of every season, and I'm not overly surprised that that one did. But the rest of it, from a planning standpoint, looked like a coach who understood what he had, looked like a coach that, quite frankly, had been itching for an offense that didn't have to necessarily run through its quarterback, although it kind of did with Geno in the first half. And they got the last sure. laugh on that one. So, yeah, I, I never really going to be down with all the boos that go on in that situation. But once the game starts, then I'm I'm a little more understanding of that. And they made life hell on him. And it clearly had an effect on the way that offense operated. So, kudos to the 12s. They don't give a shit what I think anyway. Brandon. Sure. Now that we have gotten through all of that, because man, oh man, it, yes. was, it was a lot. And... You know, 
We're recording this right after the game, so I'm super hopped up on all of this emotion with Nathaniel Hackett. We'll see if anything transpires in the next 12 hours that can possibly change my mind because I want to be open to it. And I don't have any preconceived notions about Nathaniel Hackett. Like, he looks as close to me as you're going to see in an NFL head coach. If I shaved my face tomorrow and went purely bald, I would probably look exactly like Nathaniel Hackett. So it's not like I'm rooting against that guy. It was just perplexing for someone who was an offensive coach and a guy who we looked at as, you know, that side of the ball being his specialty coming into this game. Is it really Is it really that perplexing? Like, we're still scratching our head at uh, who's the, the, the one who won the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, but now he's about to get fired from the Dallas Cowboys. Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy. Like, we're st- – we're still scratching our head at, at his decision making when it comes to uh, play clock management. Like, I think this is something that is a blind spot for coaches, and especially a first time head coach like this on a primetime game, like with all the emotions of. And Pete, he talked about Pete Carroll, how important this was to him behind the scenes. Like, this was a big game, and he, he just, you know, he just shit the bed. And it won't be the first time. Sean McVay did it at the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Like, it was, it was pretty, it was higher stakes then I will allow Nathaniel Hackett that grace of saying there is a lot of stuff that goes through your head but the thing it'd be one thing Brandon I guess if it was just a reaction in the moment where he was kind of deer in headlights and he's like oh well we'll kick it because then we have a shot to win it people can't say I didn't try to win it you don't go out not converting fourth and five and having no shot there but the fact that that was the decided plan in the lead up to that drive, and that's the way that he presented that, that to me is just far too well. conservative to be successful over the long run. When again, the whole theory around your team was you were a quarterback away. Jerry Judy looked awesome in this game. A lot of the pass catchers really stepped up. Cortland Sutton had some big ones. They were able to find plenty of holes in that secondary. Like it, there's, there's plenty of stuff to be excited about. Javante Williams is an absolute tank of a runner it felt like he finished every one of those things like he was throwing hammers at the defender there was a ton of stuff to like in that performance but 12 penalties and those kind of mistakes in the red zone coupled with end game execution like that and you deserve to lose that game so congratulations to the seattle seahawks because that was a game the way that they played while it was you know a game plan they had to follow to go out and get a win against a more talented team they went out and executed that shit and they deserve a ton of credit for it now, Brandon. Yes. Sorry, I had random videos playing on my computer. Brandon, now that we have gotten through that, Monday Night Football is in the books. It is Tuesday around this show, which means oh, we're going to get to NFL Top 5, Bottom 5, Brandon. I know, I know, and, and, and we're going to get into it. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll, I'll say what I want to say in, in lieu of that. Go ahead. Let's, 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 let's get into it. All right. Well, Brandon, I mean, good news. If you want to say what you want to say, for anyone that's not sure how it works, we picked the five best and worst things from the NFL weekend that was. It could be anything. It could be plays. It could be something that happened off the field, a ridiculous moment, whatever. We flip-flop every week. Brandon's got the top five this week. So, Brandon, if you got shit you want to say, you got the chance to say it now, man. Brandon Newman's top five for the NFL weekend that was. What do you got? Top five, Mike, and we're going to start with number five, but let's start with the honorable mentions like this is number five, and this is number six. And this is what I want to talk about because we're coming off the Monday Night Football game. It may be recency bias, but Troy Aikman and Joe Buck flawlessly transitioning into Monday Night Football booth, Mike, 
it, it, it was eerily it was eerie how seamless it was for me. I, I thought it was going to be a big adjustment. Uh, you know, I, I prefer the Manning podcast, uh, the Manning cast, and everything that Omaha is doing over there on ESPN two and ESPN plus. But it works, Mike. It's just those two, those two. I liked it. What'd you think? Um, I mean, I enjoyed uh, Troy Aikman's war against the teleprompter in there. It was giving him fits all night, and he kept trying to go back to the well on that. Tough look, been there before. True. It's not fun when you reach for that and have something you want to get off because then it ruins the whole rest of the highlight when you can't point out the things that you want. But, yeah, Brandon, they're comfortable. That's why they brought them over here because they're a proven commodity that people know. I think they're like Joe Book is a really good play-by-play announcer that for some reason the internet's just decided they don't like. Troy Aikman is a fine color analyst here. And my theory with them is always they're unoffensive for the most part outside of the Buck Twitter stuff. But again, that's Twitter. We know it's a small subsect of people. They're comfortable, reliable, and we've gotten used to them over a number of years. And so instead of ESPN trotting out a new group again for the primetime biggest property that they have as far as a live event, they get to do something that's tried and true. So yeah, of course it was comfortable because we're used to these guys. They joked about being in a different booth. There's no difference. There's maybe a couple of different producers there, but Phil Dean, who's the producer of Monday Night Football, is incredible. He's one of the best people at that company. So I'm not I'm assuming he is still the producer of Monday Night Football. So if that's not the case no one hold that against me i'm operating on dated software from february when i still work there but that being said the rest of that is just what those guys have always done which is be them it's why they were brought over here when abc got a couple of super bowls in the next decade like it was it was everything i expected from them yeah okay uh i just wanted everyone to know your dated software is still very impressive to the rest of us so thank you for your insight number five at the top five of this for week one NFL season was Lovey Smith, head coach of the Texan Texans. <laughs> the double Texans. Mike, the re, the way he had, yeah, the Texan Texans, the way he elected to, to tie and uh, while he was in overtime versus go for the win for this reason, quote, there's a lot of football left to be played this season. I felt like a tie was better than a potential loss because the defense was gassed, Mike. And this is checkers, not not chess. Or is it chestnut checkers? It's chestnut checkers. It's something. It's overcoaching the situation, Mike, and that's why I love it. Because it's low stakes right now, and it's not that important. But the fact that he just was like, you know what? Yep, let's punt this ball, middle of the field. Possibly could go down there and and, and uh, try to get some points on the board. But the last thing I want to do is put my defense back out there on the field. I love stuff like that. And I love that honesty from him. I don't know if it's going to help him keep his job, but I feel like there's a special moment that only exists in week one because if it happens any other time in the season, whew, God bless that head coach. Well, I mean, we're seeing what happens with that right now. If that game was in prime time, which if the Texans were in prime time, boy, oh boy, have we fallen far as a nation. But if that happens in prime time, it's the thing we're discussing, like we're talking about this Nathaniel Hackett stuff, should you have gone for the tie, but when you're in a cluttered one o'clock window, we just kind of brush it off because ties are weird and it's more about, in our mind, what the Colts didn't do. I kind of would have preferred going for the win. Like, you're the Texans. You're not supposed to be good. We talked about head coaches like Brian Dable and Mike McDaniel who did send a message to their team that, hey, we're going to go out here and try and win it. And Lovey's just like, nope, I got a great Santa Claus beard. We're going to tie this some bitch. I love it. I love the decision making, and I love the I love just the rationale behind it. Uh, coming in at number four in NFL's top four of week one is Tom Brady. 
simply because it's Tom Brady. Uh, all the news of him right now is that D- D- Giselle Bunchen refuses to come to his, his games, and there's an actual rift in the relationship right now. He's expected to retire again. No, the reason why Tom Brady is number four in this list because he is seven and zero against the Dallas Cowboys in his career, five times for the Patriots, now twice for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He he has gone undefeated against. America's team in the NFL and I just think that that's so apropos and I, I highly doubt if they're going to get a chance to ever get their revenge back on him because that season is going to be rough for them and like I said he's probably on his way out and uh, he had a quote this morning uh, he was on his podcast the let's go uh, podcast and he said he was sore this morning and he at 45 he he feels these these hits that he took uh, which is good to know it's like but it's also like a quarterback it's like yes we hope you're sore at after the game, the rest of your teammates are feeling like they were in a car accident. So I just, you know, Tom Brady, as much as I want to hate him, he really does deserve to be in uh, somewhere in the week's sub- top top five for week. I was one. listening to Chris Long on the Green Light podcast, and I thought he pointed it out. Tom Brady still threw the ball really well in that game, but he said after the yes. game, Tom sounded old when he was saying stuff like that. Mm. And all of this offseason and now bleeding into the season is the first time that we've heard, seen, or anything Tom sound remotely human. And that should probably let us know that th- this is probably the last year. I can't imagine him going beyond this. It seems like we finally hit critical mass in a ton of ways. This roster that was ready-made when he walked in is now starting to show some signs of... I won't say decay, but definitely some signs of wear and tear. And so, you're right. Still an incredible performance. Got the opening win of the weekend. Still going to be a very live dog, that entire Tampa Bay team. And Tom Brady deserves a ton of credit. Okay, coming in at number three. Not going to spend a bunch of time on it because I feel like we have these last couple days. But the rookie head coach debuts. Putting Nathaniel Hackett aside, Mike McDaniel's coming out there and getting a a win with the Dolphins. Kevin O'Donnell with the Vikings. O'Connell, O'Donnell, excuse me. Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings. Brian Dayball with the Giants. And then Matt Eberflus with the Bears in the monsoon. It it feels like good stuff because obviously I think at at one point in time, new head coaches will come into the league and they'll play uh, Bill Belichick and get their souls completely crushed week one and have uh, really – a uh, tough time coming back for it for the rest of the season. This is good inertia for teams that we would like to be good and have some some gusto to them. Uh, I wish that the revenge games could have played out differently for Baker uh, with the Carolina Panthers and the Cleveland Browns and obviously with this Russell Wilson uh, game. But the fact that these head coaches were able to get out there and get a win for their teams – it feels good. It feels like the NFL's in a healthy place. It feels like one of those like like light little cool moments. You brought up the one that I think is probably should be deemed more jarring than it was is Mike McDaniel going out there and looking really comfortable at the helm against a Bill Belichick yes. coach team. And we know the Dolphins have some weird voodoo magic with the Patriots. Usually that lines up in like week sixteen or seventeen, but it still came out here. He was able to get a very I'd say not complete, but very uh, clean performance out of Tua Tungavailoa in this game and just seemed to have a really good plan. Probably more an indictment of the lack of talent on the Patriots roster, but definitely deserves a lot of credit. It was a good opening weekend for all those guys. 
Yeah, it's good to see. Good to see. Uh, coming number two, we just got done uh, beating over his head, but I think it is up there. Geno Smith finishing 23-28, uh, 195 yards, two touchdowns, a very NFC quarterback stat line. I'm going to keep hammering that home, Mike, because you'll see your uh, your Patrick Mahomes winning with – you know, 400 yards, it, but in NFC, all you need is you know, 195 yards and two touchdowns um, to spoil Russell Wilson's homecoming. And Pete Carroll said before the game, Geno Smith is talented. Everyone in West Virginia is like, duh. But I like the fact that in a time where Ty Bowles is back as a head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like Geno Smith, the guy who we thought was the reason why he got didn't had a had a short leash uh, with the Jets back in the day, is is doing his thing too and looking good, running around like Russell Wilson. It was like like a, a weird freakazoid, tall version of Russell Wilson out there, quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks tonight. So shout out to Geno Smith. Got so many backup quarterbacks in co- in college football are going to be in their indoor facilities throwing balls into a net tomorrow getting ready for their time to shine now this is going to be jet fuel jet fuel for the backup nation stay relevant stay 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 active that's all you need gino had that bar Um, ready after the game too where he said they wrote they tried to write me off but i didn't write back or i ain't write back but i didn't write back he had that he had that loaded up in his pocket on tuesday and was practicing that in front of the mirror and you can't tell me otherwise no, do you know what the, the quote I love from him when he got interviewed? Just another, just another day in, uh, just another day in my blessed life. Just another day in my blessed life. He's like, how big of this is for you? Just another day in my blessed life. Like Geno Smith, at one point in time, we thought was like down in the dumps, quite literally, just because of all the things that are being said about him. For him to have this disposition, he looks good, Mike. I feel like he's doing the TB12 method. Okay, we'll move on. Coming in at number one was Justin Jefferson's. Okay, let me let me start that again. Coming in at number one was Justin Jefferson's nine catches for a hundred and forty. What? Okay, let me. Do no, that again. I want you. I want you to leave this in here because I know you're saying Justin Coming Jefferson's in. possessive. It's like when you see a sign and they do or don't put an apostrophe and it changes everything. I thought you were going plural. Justin Jefferson's having 184 yards in this game. Coming in number one, Justin Jefferson's nine catches for 184 yards. <laughs> And two touchdowns, helping wake Aaron Rodgers up from his psychedelic mushroom trip. It, it was just beautiful. In a, in, a, in a time where all these people are looking, Michael Irving is looking crazy for saying Kirk Cousins will be MVP this year. Justin Jefferson is out there proving why you can say someone like Kirk Cousins could possibly step up and have and play out of his mind because he just has options. He has options out there, Mike, and it was against the defense that's supposed to be really, really good. All those draft picks over there for the the Packers, obviously they they were a little bit thin, but it was a statement game. And Marshall Newhouse said yesterday on his podcast how tough it is playing against a division rival fresh off on week one, and the Vikings proved it not a big deal for them. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier when the other teams is banged up on offense as the Green Bay Packers are. But Justin Jefferson's a mutant, and I'm glad to see that he is getting used in even more creative ways. Kevin O'Connell, to go back to the rookie court uh, head coaches, deserves a ton of credit yes. for going out there and making use of that. I saw so much of what they did mimics the uh, mimics the Los Angeles Rams where he came from. Tons of eleven personnel using the same three receivers in most every set. 
And Justin Jefferson, especially if you've got multiple and you've got Justin Jeffersons, then your team becomes really deadly, and that should be unfair and illegal to have all of those Justin Jeffersons <laughs> on one field at one time. Uh, easy number one there, Brandon. Great pick on that one. Outstanding job at the top five. Let's go. To, let's go dumpster diving now. Let's go to the bottom five here. Uh, the bottom five for me will go five yes. to one. Number five. Uh, the Soldier Field New Bermuda Grass getting absolutely flooded and destroyed by monsoons on Sunday's game against the San Francisco 49ers. We saw before the game the guy who painted the wa- the lines on the field looked like he did it stumbling drunk. They were all wavy and uncomfortable looking. And yes. then the pictures of the puddles on the field flooding social media throughout the entirety of this game. I get it ended up paying off well Ooh, for the Chicago good. Bears, but... For a city and a field that have constantly been the butt of jokes for having a deeply unserious approach to what their grass ends up looking like and the surface that teams are forced to play on there, this wasn't a great first rattle out of the box. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do, Mike? They said the stadium's bad. That's why they're going to Arlington Heights. Yes, everyone was just thinking and dreaming about the roof that's going to be put on that Arlington Heights facility now. Except for the Bears players who had fun slopping around in the rain and got a win. Congratulations to Justin Fields and the gang for pulling that one off. Uh, Number four on the bottom five, Brandon, for me, injuries. It is the worst part of every season, but especially week one injuries, man. You go through so much in the offseason and you spend so much time building up to what you're going to be in that season. And you hate it for everyone, but especially some of the major ones that we saw. We mentioned Monday Night Football, Jamal Adams carted off the field. Kyle Fuller of the Ravens lost for the season to a torn ACL. Derek Barnett of the Eagles lost to a season with a torn ACL. Elijah Mitchell, I believe, is an MCL sprain for the uh, running back for the 49ers who's going to miss a few weeks. TJ Watt thought he tore his peck. It looks like he's going to get a second opinion on that and see what that might hold, but didn't look good as he was coming off the field basically telling their trainer, I tore it. Yeah. And then Dak Prescott, the hand. He says out to October. Yeah. So, and then Dak Prescott's hand that he hit at the end of that game, now going to miss six to eight weeks there. It's the worst part of the beginning of every season. And those are a lot of big, very important names that are automatically going to be unavailable for their team. <laughs> Sorry, I had to hit pause and uh, get off an absolutely righteous sneeze so that's a perfect stamp oh, to, it, look, it looks strong it was quite strong it's like one of those dad sneezes where you have to hold on and start to brace your core or else you're gonna pull something okay I, you can say a dad's a dad sneeze because now i think dad sneeze that means something came out with it either you peed a little bit or something out the back wet fart some you know some there's some moisture that's going to be you got you need a nap becoming an adult is just accounting for moisture in areas that you are not prepared for at times you are not prepared for <laughs> right but that's story for another day um number 3 Brandon Arthur Smith and Rob Sala popping off at the microphone after their team's respective losses ooh Rob Sala after the Jets lost a convincing thumping by the Baltimore Ravens said quote yep. I know what's going to happen he said of a turnaround He said, quote, and we're all taking receipts on all the people who continually mock and say that we're not going to do anything. I'm taking receipts, and I'm going to be more than happy to share them with all of you when it's all said and done. Rob, I care about you. You're the head coach of the Jets. You've got a long history of a bad franchise. Like, this isn't about you. Everyone likes you. 
everyone just understands that this organization is where hope tends to go to die. So Rob Sala, you are not the enemy here. Your team is not the enemy. It's the colors you wear that are the enemy. And then Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, said, quote, You guys wrote our obituary back in May. You'll continue to write our obituary. Who cares? Because we have 16 games. And if we don't learn from this and get better, we got to play L.A. They got a three-day jump on us. So we'll watch the tape, we'll look for corrections, and then we'll have to get going on the Rams. And he slammed his little stand, and he stormed off the set after that one, and was done with the press conference. Like, I, I just don't understand... For coaches of bad teams, you know you're fighting an uphill battle. The Falcons have turned over a lot. Your franchise is quarterback for the all-time in Matt Ryan is wearing different colors. you got a young team and a bad defense. Mm -hmm. It's going to be rough around there. We know outside noise is a part of all this. We always see, and Brandon, this is a good reminder to people, that we always see those signs around the facilities to ignore the outside noise. I'll never forget in 2012 when we started winning those games at Notre Dame. A sign went up about week four that says ignore the outside noise. It was right as we walked out of the football facility at Notre Dame to get ready to go back to class, yep. to let everybody know. And you hear coaches and people say, I don't watch ESPN, or I don't listen to this, that, or the other. They're all listening. They hear everything. So many people are absorbing way too much information. And this this, to me, is a clear indication of that. That, all right, these guys have been here. Rob Sala has been here a year. Arthur Smith's been here a year. And it is already something that they have now internalized. And after one game, we're pissed off enough. Now, to be fair, I don't know the questions that preceded those statements. But the answers reeked of someone who had something to get off their chest. I don't mind them defending them. I don't like the way they did because obviously, yeah, who's going? To, who else is going to defend them if not the head coach of this team? But the way you're going about it is a little childish and a little bit like you actually don't know who to be mad at. So you're just going to be like, you guys are mean to us. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's their, their job is to be critical or just report what the hell happened. And usually y'all are out there embarrassing yourselves. And it's one of those things, too. And everyone's motivated in different ways. But the idea that it's just, well, hey, we want to remember all the negative stuff we said so we can hold it against you when it happens. Feels like something that maybe shouldn't be the top of mind worry. But we've all been there. We've all enjoyed a little bit of petty. It was just too much too soon. If you do this week six or seven and there's been some success, and there's a bad right. loss in there. I guess this is more about the timing. I was confused why this is popping up and popping off on week one. Uh, Brandon, number two. Especially yeah. when you could – well, especially when you can cape up with the fact that you've already said you're taking your time bringing Zach Wilson back. Like, this is the time where your quarterback's in the incubator to be the best version of himself. Like, just lean on that. Should, could, didn't. Number two. Yeah. On the bottom five, Brandon. Nathaniel Hackett's debut. We already talked about it ad nauseum here. Two gun runs on the one-yard line. Both end up getting fumbled, letting the time run off about 40 seconds, only to call timeout on fourth and five, and send your kicker out instead of your $240-plus million-dollar quarterback. And 12 total penalties for 106 yards, including five false start or delay of game penalties that were at least in part due to the plays not getting in or appeared not getting in fast enough to be communicated in that environment whoever lays blame on that penalties are something that usually end up falling in the lap of a head coach 
This is not going to be the end of his career. It's not going to define Nathaniel Hackett's career, but it is definitely an inauspicious start to all the proceedings here. Which leads us, Brandon, to number one. Because part of the reason he shouldn't have been kicking that 64-yard field goal is he should have known what had gone down this weekend. The kicking gods were angry this weekend. 15, and now really 16 missed kicks, although it was a 64-yarder. So I'm hardly going to hold that against Brandon McManus necessarily. 15 missed kicks in 14 games over the weekend, including one by Justin Reed, even though he did make an extra point in the process, Brandon. We had the doink heard around the world in the Steelers game that rivaled the double doink from the Bears playoff loss years ago. We had plenty of shanks by the Bengals kicker who was swaggering about last year in the postseason, largely because their uh, their backup short snapper was in. It was a mess across the board. I can hardly remember a weekend like this. Kickers, got to hold the L for the weekend. You'll be a part of some good shit this year. You were the thing that made us laugh this weekend. Kickers. <laughs> Mike, it's about all that needs to be said, Brandon. It's about all that needs to be said. That is our top five, bottom five, at Gojo Show on Twitter. If you disagreed with anything we had to say on this one, as always, download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. I was so excited, I forgot to tell you to leave us a five-star rating and check us out on YouTube, where you can go to the DraftKings YouTube page. Head on over to the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. playlist. Check us out there. Make sure you're all subscribed up and ready to go so you can see Brandon's wonderful, very fluorescent shirt to make sure that he doesn't get hit by a car when he's on his way to spend random time in a random neighbor's basement down his street. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, (laughs) the shutdown full cast very own college football writer extraordinaire Spencer Hall is going to join us to break down a chaotic weekend in the world of college sports next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, excited to welcome in Spencer Hall, though maybe excited isn't the word. I'm bracing for impact. You guys can read Spencer Hall over at Channel 6. Great newsletter that promises you two things a week. You can listen to him, the Shutdown Fullcast, the Internet's Only College Football Podcast, as well as Fullcast After Dark, which, Spencer, I was a full-blown coward. They can also check you out on Thinking Out Loud on the SEC Network with Richard Johnson on Monday nights. I was a full-blown coward and could not muster up the gumption to waltz my way in to Fullcast After Dark this week. So I just wanted to give you the floor. I don't know if you needed to have like a hearty 30-second laugh or a cackle or whatever it was, as you were the only person that resisted the charm of Marcus Freeman and kept up the anti-Notre Dame sentiment on the Fullcast. So 
you you win. I don't know what else to say. You win this round, Spencer. Well, I can't say anything because we lost to Kentucky, which is, as you know, is the Notre Dame of the Bluegrass State. So, really, <laughs> I I have nothing to say here other other than this. I, as a Marcus Freeman stan, like a lot of people who've had any kind of contact with him or with people who work with them, um, I feel bad. I feel bad that he's 0-3. I feel bad that he's 0-2 on the season. And I feel bad that, you know, remember this. It's the first month of the season. We're watching everyone learn in real time what they have, what they don't, what they can do, what they need to work on. You know, that, that applies to Notre Dame who I think has a lot of serious issues on offense and I think has to make some adjustments in terms of how they do things, you know, like Marcus Freeman's going to coach like a defensive coordinator and that's got drawbacks, you know, mm-hmm. um, he's going to do what he's comfortable with right now. The growth is about getting out of your comfort zone, right? Um, which is kind of the opposite problem that Anthony Richardson has, which is that he looked very comfortable at times early in the game. And that resulted in some key interceptions and a pick six, which effectively crippled the Gators offense. So things are going to flip. Like people bring up rankings in the first two weeks, like that means anything. Like, oh, they were a twelve, dude. You could be a twelve. Marshall could be twelve next week. It doesn't really matter. Um, what you should pay attention to is where is this team going? Is there a sign of progress? What are the key issues? What are things that are you know setting off alarm bells? And what are things that are real assets? Like I, I that's that's for me. Like the first six weeks of the season, we don't get preseason in college football. It ha- it happens on the field, so we're all figuring it out in real time. And there's like three or four teams that actually know what they have, and everyone else is guessing. For once, by the way, one of those isn't Alabama because they're still very obviously figuring things out in front of a national audience. Yeah, Spencer, what stuck out to you most about that? Because we can get to the other people that suffered crippling losses this weekend and people who might have serious change on the horizon, but the Alabama-Texas game was the show. And while I can sit here and think Texas fans should feel pretty good about how much their defense has changed year to year, for Alabama, how concerning does the skill position groups on both sides become once you hold it up to the lens that we saw Saturday? Defensively, I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about because Sarkeesian had a great game plan for Texas until Quinn. Actually, I, I will say, I was going to say, until Quinn Ewers was injured, they actually did a great job after he got injured yeah. cobbling together a game plan on the fly and taking advantage of what they had. They really, and, and by the way, Hudson Card was also injured and playing in that game on a bad leg, and they were still a point away from tying two points away from winning. On the other side of the ball, though, I think there is a supply chain issue when it comes to Alabama's wide receivers. They're not making it into the delivery box. We're not seeing the same kind of, like they had, and, and you know, everybody has these kind of runs. Like Clemson had, we're going to have a an amazing quarterback, a good to amazing quarterback, right? And all respect to Taj Boyd, I'm including him in right. this, okay, because he was the one who was there for the turnaround, all right? Yeah. Shouts out to True. Taj Boyd. Um, you know, big dude, big dude rumble. I, was, I will remember it all my life. I was going to say Taj Boyd is also one of those guys when you see him now still throwing weight around. I still see plenty of videos of him power cleaning. And when you see him in person, that man has not given up the yoke on his upper back. So very much still built for that, but you're absolutely right. No, like walking advertisement for country strong. Like Taj is just a big old <laughs> dude stuck up in his pads, right? He um, like, but, but with the run that they had with, you know, Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson, 
to Trevor Lawrence, they had an outstanding run of quarterbacks who could, I think, hide a lot of the deficiencies that they had otherwise. Bryce Young is a quarterback. A quarterback is a outcome-dependent delivery system, meaning he's got to have five good things the six good things happen in front of him blocking-wise. He's got to have every receiver end up in the right place. And then he has to deliver the ball. Well, they don't have those game-breaking receivers anymore. Or at least they don't have one in this class. One has not emerged. Typically, they were just spitting them out, right? Starting with Julio Jones and going all the way through you know, your Devontae Smiths, um, going through your Jalen Waddles, right? Um, you know, you're talking about guys who just chain one after the other after the other. They don't have that. So consequently, they have to rely a lot more on passing to the backs. You'll notice they opened with that. Mm -hmm. They opened with, hey, we're going to go ahead, pass to our running backs as a primary feature of our passing attack. I don't think that was anything particularly geared towards a game plan that was Texas-centered. I think that's who they are now. They have to go through their backs, and they have to have a short passing game. That, to me, is probably where they need to emerge because they don't have anybody who can stretch the field quite like they used to. On the other side, just to give Texas their credit, because I think you're right. And listen, Jameer Gibbs, we knew. When we saw him wind up over there, we went, ooh, yeah. shiny, fun, this will be great. But we yeah. didn't imagine he to be the only one in that group. Um, for Texas on the other side, though, like setback aside at quarterback and certainly losing this game, you don't want to get into too much moral victory territory, but – for Sark and for Texas fans, how should they feel about the direction of the program right now? You've got the Arch Manning thing looming. We still know what the culture around that program looks like. But on the field, that was as confident as we can remember Texas playing in a big game, and it feels like quite some time. The thing that shocked me most is they have a defensive line. Mm -hmm. The big knock on the Big 12 in terms of player deficiencies categories where they did not have the kind of talent that other conferences had are what Jimbo Fisher calls big fasts. They didn't have big fasts. They didn't have guys, you know, who along the defensive line could really both move weight and chase down uh, runners and, you know, at least help a pass rush. They had that. They were pushing Alabama's offensive line around dominating the line of scrimmage for large portions of this game. That, to me, is the most encouraging. If you don't have lines, you don't have football, right? If you don't have a D-line, you don't have an offensive line, you've got nothing. If they're building from the foundations, I know we're waiting on a quarterback, right? Quinn Ewers, I think, was a great answer until he got injured, right? Um, we're waiting on skilled players to emerge. You already have Bijan Robinson. But the way both lines played, that's fine. Start with the fundament, right? Be patient, Right, Because we've seen a lot of false positives from Texas. I just wrote about this, right? And Notre Dame has been part of that storyline. Yep. Early season games with Texas from 2016 forward, right? We, we, had, uh, we had Texas winning a close game against Notre Dame. Ooh, both teams are back. That was not accurate, okay? Uh, Maryland. Maryland beats Texas twice. You're like, ooh, Maryland's going to turn the corner. This was also not accurate. LSU in 2019 has, a, yeah. uh, I believe, a 45-38 thriller to open week two of that season. Well, it turns out that didn't really have that much to do with Texas. That was just LSU playing one of their uh, like most incomplete games of the season and still scoring 45 points because that team was sick. Point being, all right, be cautiously optimistic, right? From the fundament, from the base, Texas looks better than they've looked in a decade. Well, and True. maybe relative to comparison, because the other elephant in the room now is what's going on in College Station. And 
when the midnight yell videos are getting pulled from the internet, maybe this is a sign that the apocalypse is nigh. Like Spencer, is that the ultimate coward move that we saw from over the weekend? Now is there a lovely little yell practice pulled from online? Well, it's still on the YouTube channel. Okay. Okay. We were looking, I was just looking at this. (laughs) So really it's less an act of cowardice and more of one of copyright law. So we're, we're all, listen, you can be subject to a lot of things. You can lose to Appalachian State, but all of us lose to copyright law is really the lesson here. <laughs> and in their case, they With also A&M, lose to App State. That is correct. I don't, y'all, this game should have been way worse. Way, way worse. Because when I start listing off stats to you, okay, time of possession. Okay, well, you can kind of discount some time of possession, especially because AM lost a possession when they returned a kick for a TD. However, when I say 41 minutes of possession for App State in College Station, right, that should mean something out of 60 for those who need that context. <laughs> when I say first downs, first downs, App State had 22 first downs, 22. They were converting third downs at a rate of, I think, above 60%, and they were three for five on fourth and short converting that. 22 first downs to AM's nine. Nine first downs. AM only crossed the 50, I believe, twice in the entire game. I believe they were under 100 yards in both offensive categories, like barely scraping the Mendoza line of 200 yards for an entire offense. This is not year one of the Jimbo Fisher era. And most damning of all, they got pushed around by App State, a Sunbelt team. You should not be blown off the ball at the line of scrimmage or falling for every play fake, shift, counter, and rollout that they have. Because App State runs like a very cool, like nobody runs a pure triple anymore, Mm -hmm. but a lot of teams run this like Coastal Carolina, like, okay, we'll have multiple options in the backfield, we'll shift, we'll put a guy here, you know, we'll look up like a toss for the right, but all of a sudden we'll shift and we, you know, we'll run counter to the left or whatever. Like, there's a lot of people doing really creative, cool stuff in that without getting too far into the weeds of X's and O's. But they were getting manhandled. When they needed to stop a crucial third and short late in the game to get another shot at getting the ball back, they could not, even though everyone knew the ball was going to the back. So... It was 17-14, but realistically, without the kick, at 17-7. And App State traded points for time. They had a nine-minute-plus drive between the third and the fourth quarter that took up just nine minutes. I believe it was like 18 plays, a ridiculous drive, where they were just snapping it with one. Snapping it with one. So App State, I want to like to talk about, just because I want to talk about these playoff teams getting blown up very early on. Mike had Utah possibly getting into that Final Four spot. I was liking USC. And then the amount of people that had College Station, like the thing's getting blown up, right? But Mm -hmm. at this point in time, is it one of those things where like the the chalk teams that we had in the Final Four can possibly get back? Or are we actually making way for some of these solid teams that are not a year away from competing and that are here right now early on? There are a number of teams who, by the way, really owe App State a a little note of gratitude before we talk about Mm -hmm. playoff teams. UNC being one of them. We laughed at UNC for going toe-to-toe with them in a 63-62 point shootout for both teams. They they blew the over by like 60 points, I want to say. Well, 
looking at playoff teams, I think Utah can still get back there. Yeah. I do. I think Utah's like early season loss. You're going to lose, lose the opener, see if you can get things together. Cam Rising's got to sort of, they have to work on their passing game and really sort of developing that and making it something that isn't uh, as spotty or inconsistent as it can be. Um, I think Utah can get back. A&M can't. I don't, we like looking at their schedule. Um, Peter Burns this morning on Twitter was looking at it. He's like, I, this looks like two and seven down the stretch, Ooh. right? It looks bad. It is a dire situation in terms of, quarterback yeah, like there is no position outside of Devin A chain that is settled and they can't get a chain the ball. Like we're talking direct snap levels of desperation in terms of getting offensive production there, you know, which might be a great idea because yeah. Devin A chain's awesome, yeah. right? They have skill players. They have no way of getting them the ball. Um, other teams, by the way, early, like if you like USC, I think USC is interesting. Um, I was just writing this USC. Uh, which team had more first downs in that game? USC or Stanford? I actually just, I, I mean I know I, I know the answer, so I, I oh, okay. I'm more than happy to hear it because I, I I would guess Stanford just because of the how they run the ball. Thirty three. They had thirty three first downs on USC's offense. They also statistically picked up seventy five percent of available yardage, which if you're not familiar with that stat, is all of it. That's basically all of it, right? <laughs> so, really, USC hasn't changed too much on the defensive side of the ball. They're a sieve right now. And they would have been in a very tight game had Stanford not turned the ball over four times, including three in the red zone. So, what you're looking at with USC, if you like classic Pac-12 ball, if you like 48-47, you're going to get it with them because they are awesome. Just Jordan Addison uh, it is incredible at wide receiver for them. He's going to get stupid numbers, gluttonous numbers, but they're also going to give that away on the defense so far based on what I've seen. And I think I, – I don't know what y'all think. I mean, you're, you're former players. But my observation is that offenses you can mitigate. You can come up with some way of saying, okay, we can't pass the ball, so we'll turn it to a three-and-punt team right we'll play to our strengths uh florida's gonna have to do this with anthony richardson and figure out what he does well and what he doesn't right um but defenses if you can't defend basic stuff it's not gonna get a lot better that's just like my bias when i look at well who can improve i'm like defensively if you get pushed around you're gonna stay getting pushed around for most of the year that's a dude's thing yeah that's uh, that's not worried about notre dame well, I mean, that's honestly yeah, what, what, what worries me less about Notre Dame is I think most of their issues defensively have to do with an imbalance on offense. The complementary football piece at some point means you're undersized yeah. on defense. You make a living by causing chaos and wreaking havoc and gaps that works really well as long as the game script doesn't get too lopsided. All of a sudden, you have a bunch of three and outs, and you're backing up and losing the field position battle eventually, yeah, they're going to get moved around in the middle because they just don't have the dude sides-wise. But, Spencer, to your point about USC, I think that's absolutely right. Now, offensively, can they just pace and space you enough with all those guys? Because, man, the thing I've just continually blown away by, and this is every Lincoln-Riley offense, even this one that is different in that they don't have an offensive line that I think is going to be able to consistently bully people. They're weaker on the edges than he's used to at Oklahoma. We haven't seen mm-hmm. a lot of that like traditional, you know, two back ton of counter runs make it over that way just yet and have the effect. 
but they're a full 53 in the year, third scared the shit out of you as far as how they're going to use that receiver room. It seems like they've got more space than everyone else, but you're right. The Utah game to me is going to be the most instructive when it comes to what that team actually is because yeah. Utah, Utah still has the ability, like the Florida game, they still bullied Florida's defense. Brenton Cox and those dudes, yep. they got ball players on that side. And Utah got everything they wanted in the run game for the majority of that. They just had a Cam Rising mm-hmm. problem at the end with consistency. So totally agree with you as we start to look at what the Pac-12 can be for the rest of this season. But I would be remiss if I didn't start to get a look forward. I don't know if any group of people have celebrated the – awe and beauty and utter absurdity of Scott Frost Day in Nebraska each and every year. We celebrated now apparently our last one as Scott Frost was let go by Nebraska after their loss to Georgia Southern this weekend. And Clay Helton, by the way, getting to experience joy in a life outside of USC. Part of me loves that for the guy. But Spencer... The, the Reaper. The Reaper. Yeah. The Reaper, Clay right. Helton. <laughs> I need someone to Photoshop his face over the Reaper going door to door on those teams in the meme and make that work as that will be probably the second time people have ever seen or understood or even been able to conceptualize Clay Helton's face and what it looks like. But Spencer, uh, you know, a series of embarrassing losses, 10 straight one point losses. This sort of felt inevitable. Scott Frost was in that Jim Harbaugh mode of I took a pay cut to come back to the university that I had called home Mm -hmm. as a player. As we kind of do the 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 retrospective on this, what was the biggest failing of the Scott Frost era in Lincoln? Probably taking the entire UCF staff because um, a lot of those guys, you know, the first thing you do, hire a strength coach, fill out the rest of your staff. And I think they missed. I think they just missed on some guys who never really understood um, but either recruiting Nebraska, recruiting the area at UCF, they could roll out the barrel and pull it back. And it would be filled with guys who might not be Florida, Florida state, Miami grade, but dudes who could train up, right. Who you could coach up and were probably underranked, under recruited anyway. Right? right. Then moving to Nebraska where you have a serious challenge in terms of how to get people there, how to get skilled players there how to get people to come out to Lincoln, right? Remember, this is pre-NIL too, so it's not even like they could have counted on that. A lot of people from those staffs ended up turning over. There were some misfires in hiring. I think that was probably the biggest problem of all. It's really not like they were too far away from being good. The one-score games thing is it's galling because they were improved, because they were so close, and yet – it was also damning because they couldn't get over that hump, right? I also want to suggest that men might be too emotional to coach football and run athletic programs because Nebraska, yes, yes, you are paying a premium to be first. You are paying a premium to be first out there and to start the search, right? Because um, my good friends at Split Zone Duo pointed out, most of the time, I don't think people know this, most of the time coaches aren't talking behind like the back with the AD for the next job of somebody who's still there. Mm-hmm. Usually it's, no, 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 we're not really going to talk to anybody, even informally, until we fire that guy. The right. discussions are always happening, right? But um, the thing that's amazing to me is that I don't know how much of a jump or head start this would be. You were just maybe scared of being embarrassed by Oklahoma because that is a classic rivalry rivalry where you're going to look like every bit the diminished superpower that you are as a football team right now. 
they paid $7.5 million because they were tired of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, anyone who's been through any kind of breakup would say, that's the point. That's the point. I'll pay for it. But also it's a very emotional decision that might be good indicating that Nebraska still really cares about college football. Mm -hmm. It might be bad because I don't know. It doesn't seem like a very, doesn't seem like one I'd make on the books. That still sounds like a lot of money to me. Okay. Like 7.5 mil just to get your feelings off your chest to some point. Like, I don't know. I can say make a burner account and a message board. It's a lot cheaper way to go about this, but it, it's so cheap. Can so Mickey <laughs> Joseph is the interim head coach right now, who, by the way, I saw this going across the internet is the first black head coach in Nebraska history, not Nebraska football history, Any Nebraska program. athletics history. So a whole lot to unpack there alone as you wait and see if maybe Mm -hmm. he is considered for this job or not. Obviously, Spencer, it's a slew of the usual names. Matt Campbell's going to get brought up for every Big Ten job that becomes available from now until when he leaves Iowa State. Is this a place where you can still be what Nebraska fans think they're supposed to be in this modern age? Uh, it depends on what kind of a Nebraska fan you are. There's an entire pair of generations, two generations of fans at least, that don't remember Nebraska being great or good. That's like at any point. Like every player who they recruit for this current class is going to have no memory whatsoever of them being competitive at all. They haven't been alive when Nebraska's been super competitive. So that's bad because it indicates – two decades of complete mismanagement and bad luck. It's good because it's an opportunity. That's a blank slate. I don't have to live up to that. You know, this is a program that is older people who are Nebraska fans or college football types like myself can just immediately go from 1973 to 1997. Mm -hmm. The floor was nine wins. They didn't have eight. They had nine, at least nine Every year from 73 to 97. That's absurd. Now, if you don't remember that, we have Tabula Rasa. We have a clean slate. We can go, right? And they have money. Remember, everybody in the Big Ten's got money now, yes. right? So mm-hmm. some someone's going to – and you say, well, man, is this job a coach killer? Coach is never going to think that. They might think, oh, it's difficult, and I'll be sure to get that buyout right. But there's going to be coaches who think they can make this work. I know this because there are coaches who took the Kansas job, right? For instance, Lance Leopold, another guy, or Leopold, who is uh, another guy who's going to be mentioned for this job, who is a a turnaround artist, both at Buffalo and now at Kansas, right? Um, Those are guys who are going to be mentioned for this. I have one more extremely poisonous one who, again, I just got through listening to Split Zone Duo on the way here, but... um, Urban Meyer. Unfortunately, I got oh. talked in. Oh. Yeah, no, it makes oh. makes far more. It makes far more sense than one might think. Yeah. Oh man, this has this has some real dark night potential. Like turning to a man they don't fully understand in a time of desperation. Oh God, I just got chills. Oh damn. Uh huh. Damn. damn you, Stephen Godfrey. I mean, I, I saw him. I saw him on that big, uh, the big noon desk, Fox Sports uh, or FS1 this weekend, and I was like, "Oh, he's getting close to the game. This is dangerous." <laughs> oh, getting close to the game. 
doesn't want uh, doesn't want the last act of his career to be uh, to be the Jags. Nobody wants that to be the the finale, right? Remember who his remember who his men, one of his mentors was, right? Like one of his idols. It's Lou Holtz, and Lou Holtz didn't finish on a bad pro gig. He went out and he got another college job, and it's a matchup of programs that are willing to take that chance in the name of winning and all things aside dude wins like that's it i can say like definitively if i had to say one very positive thing about urban meyer it's the resume the resume in terms of just football wins and losses it is there and he has big 10 experience Especially in college football. We know you can't go around kicking your kickers in the NFL, but in college football, it is, even in a world that's changed a lot, a place where he's had a ton of success. So that'll be wild to keep an eye on as we now get the Nebraska head starts on that coaching search. But uh, Spencer, we appreciate you coming by. I thought this was going to be a lot more pain on my end on the Notre Dame front. I made the mistake of wearing a Notre Dame tank top into this Zoom and somehow walked out of it alive. So thank you, sir. We appreciate it. No problem. And, you know, Buffalo solidarity, though. Way to go, Marshall. I'll be positive about that. I'll be like, thundering herd. What an outstanding moment for you. (laughs) Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. All right, Brandon, busy day, lots of footballs going on, lots of that happening. It's time for us to pause, take a quick breath, collect ourselves, not waste 40 seconds, not burn a timeout, kick a field goal, and then burn a bunch of unnecessary timeouts (laughs) while the other team's kneeling down. I'll just get straight to it and ask Brandon, do you know what time it is? Yes, Mike, I do. California. This, that, and the third. California. This, that, and the third. In the city of LA. In the city of good old Watts. In the city, city of Compton. This, that, and the third. This, that, and the third. Now let me welcome everybody to the. You know what, nerd. Brandon? I'm like starting to realize that as long as you're weaponized in song, your accents actually come out all right. It's when you've got to speak accents in words that you somehow run into trouble. <laughs> oh man! It's well, like, thank you. Well, thank you. Well, it's like I, it's yes. like British actors when they're by, in front of the camera and they can throw on this very. 
normal American accent, and then the minute they get it at award shows, we're all real. Like, the guy who plays Tom Wamscamps on Succession that just won at the Emmys last night, which we'll get to in a second here, walked on stage and freaked everyone out because he's got a British accent. Every time they would do the post-credit thing where they would review the episodes, I'd be like, it's just amazing because my idiot pig American brain could never go and do the opposite. Clearly, people have heard us do accents on this podcast, and we suck at them. Well, you know, suck is strong, but yeah, I mean, I I, I do think it's easier to to mimic a, a thing that exists versus just kind of like pulling your pulling out of nowhere. That's what the real actors are. But Tom has a British accent. I just feel like he's he's from like somewhere in Wisconsin. Yeah, no, he is very much not from Wisconsin. Extremely not from Wisconsin. Wow, good for as him. always. Oh, before we get to this, yes. that, and the third, though, I want to do want to mention I I chose that song because uh, today, September thirteenth, nineteen ninety six, the day Tupac was uh, shot and killed in Las Vegas. So uh, many years removed from from that tragedy, but just very uh, very random. I I would have never known what date it was because we we're so young yep. at the time. But I'm sure other people were like, "Oh yeah, September." And some people may be familiar. Uh, the ESPN 30 for 30 One Night in Vegas, one of the better ones that they have ever done, talking about all the events yes. happening at once over the course of that night. Great one to check out. Shameless plug for that. They did great work on that one. Great choice, Brandon. And let's get to this because we just mentioned the Emmys were last night. Um. I don't know how much of it you watched. I had it up to dual screen. I always get people asking anytime you tweet about stuff like that. Like, oh, why aren't you watching the football game? And I'm like, because I have a laptop and I have two screens open here. Leave me alone. Sorry, taking out my personal issues here on the podcast. Um, It was... It was interesting last night. I, especially once football season hits, do a really bad job of being up on every TV show. There's plenty that I hadn't seen. Abbott Elementary had a bunch of big wins. White Lotus was the biggest winner, five-time Emmy winner on the night um, for a few different awards there. But, you know, Succession, Ted Lasso, uh, Squid Game from Netflix, Better Call Saul, all awards that were up there uh, this last night. Ted Lasso took home four. They were the next big winner on that. Uh, Succession and Abbott Elementary and Squid Game all other, also all took home multiple awards on the night. Brandon, the one thing that did bum me out, and I thankfully the kind folks on Twitter let me know, I was bummed that Better Call Saul wasn't able to take home any hardware last night. Rhea Seahorn was sensational. Um, on that series, she had been phenomenal. Uh, best support, or she lost out in the award for best supporting actress in a drama, which I thought was a shame. Come to find out that Kim Wexler will still have another shot because apparently the timing of when that season aired, there are still a number of episodes from the final season of Better Call Saul that will be eligible in next year's Emmys. And so I hope they get their just due on the way oh, out nice. because all the rest of these series are going to have other seasons, and I kind of wanted to see them get a Lifetime Achievement Award for a show that did an impossible job of following up an all-time great series with a prequel that ended up living up to the hype and then some. Were there anything that stuck out to you? Well, uh, supporting actress, actress in a comedy, uh, Abbott Elementary's uh, Cheryl Lee Roth, uh, or Cheryl Lee Ralph, uh, if you remember her from Moesha from back in the day, um, she is a great actress, but uh, Quinta Brunson, the 
actor. She she was nominated for lead actress in a comedy, but she won for outstanding writing for a comedy series, which uh, series which was most important in my opinion because you gotta just respect her pen. Like there's so many funny moments in there. Like Mike, I know there's a lot of stuff that you said it's hard to get to and things like that. Like this is one of those that are just worth it in the sense of like. If you're not worried about it now, you can come back to it when it's when it's in its when it's done, like uh, you do with The Office or Friends or something like. You can yeah, binge like, it, it later it's, on. It's, it's so good. It's so smart. It's so funny. Um, but and then and Jason Sudeikis, Emmy for lead actor in a comedy series with, with Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso obviously changed the world for everyone. But. Um, Shouts out to him, and I think there's there's a lot of things, uh, people that want good stuff out there. But Quinta Brunson specifically said she wanted to uh, write this series so she can get uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph, uh, uh, you know, someone she looked up to, finally get her an Emmy in her career, and she did that. So I think that was, it was a really cool story. Brought down the house to her speech. If you haven't seen it, head over at Gojo Show on Twitter. Retweeted it. Some absolute bars. Went up and sang the first half of it. Talked about how if there's anyone out there that doesn't believe they can accomplish something, this is what belief in yourself and having a great support system looks like. It was a super powerful moment. You mentioned I was super pumped for everyone from Ted Lasso. Brett Goldstein, who... Went from being a guy who was a writer on the show to end up being Roy Kent, who's one of the most beloved characters in the show. Won an award for his job in that. MJ Delaney won an award for directing the funeral episode of Ted Lasso from season two. That was an absolute fucking triumph. And... I had to explain to someone the other day who hadn't seen Ted Lasso before and said, she's like, I usually like things that are a little on the sadder side, things that have to do a lot more with human emotions, and had to break the news to her that Ted Lasso is a show about therapy. That is about human beings dealing with consequences from their upbringing and trying to see how they have impacted their lives as an adult. That is not a show for people just looking for sunshines and rainbows that you got in season one. And now that we have a a better look at his home life with his his ex-wife and uh harry styles it just it seems like some of the ted lasso some of the, the real tearjerkers coming from a real a real place from the kansas city uh loyal uh our local jason sudeikis so you know shouts out to him and it, it, the spotlight to put on soccer is always kind of like laughed at because it's not really a show like about soccer uh as much as you know friends is a show about new york uh, but uh, I think it's it's worth everyone's time. Absolutely is. Succession, huge winners. Um, some really, they ended up taking the award home, I think, for best drama at the end of the night. It was the last yes. award given out. And just some absolutely wild moments with that crew up there. There were some weird jokes about the... Uh, succession to the crown that went on over in england brian cox said something about keeping it royalist up on stage it was all tremendously awkward tremendously in character for brian cox who plays logan roy on that show it was it was a perfect compliment to what went on in monday night football to have the tv emmys going on so congratulations to everyone who won a ton of shows that we all like i'm not going to tell you to go and watch a bunch of them because life's hard and there's too much content as is brandon let's get to that though because that is a celebration i saw pete thamel uh who's a college football reporter over at espn now tweet out a picture from will levis the quarterback for kentucky's instagram feed of what appears to be the kentucky football team's dining hall 
for their victory Monday meal after a win on the weekend over their rival Florida. Now in consecutive years beating the Florida Gators, they dined on bacon-wrapped alligator, Brandon. And there was a picture on his Instagram. It was the whole gator. You could see most of the the middle part clearly eaten out there. Plenty of bacon wrapped around it. Brandon, have you ever had alligator and are you a fan? Yes, I've had an alligator, Mike. I'm from Kentucky. I've had frog legs. I've, uh, you know, I've had crickets, um, all those things. But gator is a is a delicacy. It's a I compare it to fried oysters when you're talking about uh, like uh, something that probably shouldn't be deep fried because it's so uh, specifically cooked. But wrapped in bacon, Mike. That's 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 making the thing even more moist. Where where a deep fryer might dry it out a little bit. That's right where you want it. That's right where you want it. I'm trying to look on the back. It also looks like it's crusted in some sort of cornflakes on the tail. Mm. Unless that's just how the scales on the tail render low, once you low, deep low fried cornmeal, it. Low cornmeal dusting. It looks it looks like it might be something light like that. My first thought with this too, Will Levis, who if anyone's unfamiliar. Penn State transferred down to Kentucky, was sensational last year, the work that he did in that offense, growing under Liam Cohn, who's now the offensive coordinator for the Rams. He was more well-known for his exploits with food. He's the guy that put a bunch of mayonnaise in his coffee and drank it. Yes. He's the guy that took a banana from the side and bit it through the peel to eat it and Psycho. is generally seen as someone who pushes the bounds on that. I was wondering if he had found anything to do, and I looked. All the gators' feet are attached. I thought for sure he might go after that. There's no damage to the head, so he wasn't gnawing on it there. I am struggling to see anything other than Will Levis just eating this like a normal human being. So if there was ever an upset for the weekend, that was it. I will say this. The bacon looks a little crispy. They, I think they may have overdid this gator, but you know, such is uh, when you uh, upset when you upset them, you cook them, you know, cook the gator. As if, as everyone said, what's going to happen if they beat Georgia? And those are questions we do not oh want answered. Oh, my God. Uh, Thankfully, I don't think that's a question that we're going to have to worry about answering. But who knows? Right as, right as Mark Stoops is apt to point out to everyone, Kentucky is more than happy to try and challenge for the spot of being a football school. And they went out and backed it up early in the season. Bacon-wrapped dog food. Oh God, please, thank God, the, the humane response. I was so worried about what was coming there. Brandon, <laughs> let's get to the third, though, because that was not even the most concerning food-related thing I saw on Twitter the other day. This one came from another Cohen on Twitter who said, I don't know, understand how the following restaurants are still in business, and proceeded mm. to list Chili's, Applebee's, Olive Garden, and Red Lobster. He became Twitter's main character for the rest of the day. I'm sure he was just stirring shit. And basically tried to make the point that he had grown up middle class and eaten at all these places. But, Brandon, it goes without saying, those chain restaurants are a part of life growing up for most all of us in this country. And we've usually got positive memories tied to at least one of those. So, of the four, Brandon, Chili's, Applebee's, Olive Garden, or Red Lobster, you get one meal for the rest of your life. Which restaurant is it? One meal for the rest of your life? You gotta go with Applebee's because of the variety, but the calories are gonna sneak up and kill you. You're gonna have to you have to give them a foot or something. I would say Red Lobster because that was where I used to. This is embarrassing, maybe, but that's where we spent our you know my celebration days. Like good report card, Red Lobster, great game on Saturday, Red Lobster, mom's birthday, Red Lobster. Like Red Lobster oh. was the place to go, but it's it's too much of one thing. 
That's and that's what that's what worries me about it. But I think I probably do have to stick with my roots. You can get chilies up out of here. Uh, Applebee's. I do love the variety and the the neighborhood feel of everyone you go into when you're uh, when you're here. Your family. I know that's Olive Garden slogan, but I really think it's for Applebee's. Olive Garden. You got to get out of there because no one wants that uh, mid grade lettuce. Uh, and yes, yes, get the pasta up out of here. Red Lobster is what I'm going with. So Red Lobster's not a bad choice. The cheddar biscuits are really good. Very much enjoy Red Lobster. And there's nothing embarrassing. Like, a lot of us use these places as places where we went to celebrate when we were kids growing up and had big life moments. That's part of the appeal. You know what you're going to get in all these spots. That being said, your chili slander will not be tolerated. I have ingested way too much skillet queso, grilled shrimp alfredo, boneless buffalo wings, and molten lava cake to let you come in here and try and talk shit about what is undisputedly the best one in this category like mike I, that's it for mike. me and brandon mike, and they have the crazy. chilies too that you can enjoy in the airport at your Don't. leisure in the middle of a layover they sought fit god walked down and not only gave us chilies but he gave us chilies too because he loves us and he wants us to walk through security at o'hare and not want to beat our own brains in he gave us that beautiful red glowing sign with a little chili on top mike. of the eye and said i got y'all mike the fact that Chili's is the only one of these four that you can find in a freaking airport should tell you the quality of food that's going there. Brandon, like, it should tell not, you not it's about say- supply and demand. That is, there is a demand for Chili's everywhere people go, and so we must supply them with it even in the airport. So that's the thing. Red lobsters is scaring people away. That like I don't like seafood. I'm not gonna go there. It's like you don't even know about the Parmesan crusted chicken. You don't know about the the uh, the the virgin strawberry daiquiris. You don't know about the the okay. That's lobster pizza. I keep stopping myself because I keep trying to say things that end up having some seafood in them. But there's other options. Surf and turf. Just take away the surf and and, and get down with the turf. There's plenty of steaks and, and chicken fingers and things. And like Mike said, the Cheddar Bay Biscuits, like Red Lobster is clearly the upper echelon. If we were going to top shelf this like alcohol, it's probably Red Lobster right below that Olive Garden. Then you got, you probably got Chili's no. and Applebee's, but I say in okay. my book it's Applebee's and Chili's because Applebee's has a I'm- quesadilla burger. I'm just glad that you were heady enough to understand that Chili's is absolutely above them in the pecking order there. When that fajita tray comes out, everybody stops and stares. It is one of the greatest spectacles in sports. It's like kickoff at the Super Bowl when you hear that crackling coming out and you just pray that it's yours, knowing full well there's probably 20 people in that same Chili's that have ordered the fajita trio as well. Okay, here's my argument, and we can leave after this. Of those three, I mean, of those four, Chili's, Applebee's, Olive Garden, Red Lobster, no one is driving, sees a chili sign and says, ooh, chilies. No one. No one. Bitch, you have never clearly spent any time with my family. Because I promise you, five for five in my family. Mom, dad, me, brother, and sister. If you put all of us in a car separate and told no one, hey, this is the test of what we're doing, five for five would go, ooh, chilies, and pull over to that before they pulled over to any of those other restaurants. And Brandon, there wouldn't even be a second. Olive Garden might get some consideration in there because I will say of the consistent menu items at all these places, the soup, salad, and breadsticks bottomless combination is one of the best offers that has existed 
ever. Those breadsticks are a gift. And yeah, any no slander hits. there will not be tolerated. It absolutely hits. But my family would go five for five on chilies. Five for five. I think, and I would argue, not because of any type of evidence, that that's because they didn't see the, the TGI Fridays that was around the corner. Because if it's TGI Fridays versus chilies, I think, I think uh, thank God it's Fridays is, is, is curb stomping chilies. I'm chilies don't you, Brandon, even serve like, chili like that. Yeah, Brandon, because they're a well-rounded restaurant that offers plenty of different variety, and they don't need to just fall back on living up to their namesake, all right? Does Applebee's bring out a bunch of fucking apples on a plate for you? <laughs> Does TGI Fridays only open on Friday, Brandon? Is well, that how this shit works? Too, is, ol- is it literally a garden of olives? To be fair, to be fair, because they, and by the way, yes, you, if you get to Red Lobster, you can go and choose your own damn Red Lobster right there in the front in the tank. Um, but yeah, to be fair, they're actually talking about the chili pepper and not, not the actual like skyline chili. So yeah, they get they Red get. Lobster is low key wild for that. Like any other nice <laughs> high end restaurant you go to, <laughs> they're just like, oh, would you like lobster? Sure. We'll cook you one of the good lobsters in the back. Red Lobster's like, son, you get up here with your six year old ass. You tell us which one of these lobsters is going to die today. <laughs> I want I you want to look him and his family in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's a valuable learning experience, man. People got to know where their food's coming from. You make a little kid stare that thing and it's black beady eyes and understand what's about to happen. You learn some shit. It's really just smart, Mike, because it's like, you know, let's not spend all this money on a fish tank that we got to maintain. Let's just put this, this, the food that we have to cook up front while everybody sit there and wait. <laughs> I love the idea that the architect was like, all right, we're going to put a bunch of these tanks in here so you guys can throw some fish in there, some coral, have the little bubble machine in there, maybe even a fake, you know, a couple of fake mer people. And he's like, nah, nah, fuck that. Catch and kill out here. We're going to have these lobsters on State Street. I didn't name this red goddamn fish tank. I named it Red Lobster. <laughs> Get up to the front. It's like having a cheesecake factory. The cheesecake's up front, baby. You yep. know what I'm saying? <laughs> This is what we're here for. (laughs) That is so true. Nothing delivers on its mission statement quite like the Cheesecake Factory. Because they tell you up front, listen, the cheesecake's up here. And if you want to go past this at the Cheesecake Factory, you are going to be met with a menu that rivals the Bible in length and depth. Oh, my gosh. And, and for that reason, Cheesecake Factory belongs up here, but people think it's upper echelon. It belongs in this list as well. I'm not going to lie. For the longest time, I thought Cheesecake Factory was like a nice upper echelon restaurant. They got nice-ass light fixtures in there. The menu spiral-bound instead of just being laminate fold-over, which is only because they are included. Like, it is mind-blowing to me. They have to be the greatest chefs in the world. Like, I would imagine the guy that's from the Bear on FX works back there because you have to be able to cook so much and have so much ready to go back in that kitchen. They're New Jersey diner uh, uh, cooks that just uh, plate really well. Like, this is pretty much it because you just got to cook everything. You got to be able to cook everything. Parmesan fries to to steak frites. Listen, man. Like the NFL, the more you can do. That's how a lot of us stay employed over the years. And the folks that are making food at the Cheesecake Factory are a testament to that. Uh, As always, 
We appreciate you guys st- staying through what sometimes feels like a Cheesecake Factory menu-length podcast that we give you guys on a daily basis <laughs> You're here. welcome. If, if you enjoyed everything on the menu, please let us know. Download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Head on over to the DraftKings YouTube channel. Hit subscribe and listen to me when I say this shit, all right? I'm not doing this for my health. We need reviews. We need ratings. We need people subscribed to that YouTube and checking out the Gojo of Michael Oak Jr. playlist. I don't mean to use a stern voice here, but it's because I want good things for you. And we believe that we are making or trying to make good things for you. So check all those things out. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.